how much of a challenge is it for a determined entrepreneurial duo to reshape a sector that's been something of a closed shop dominated by a handful of big corporates? Not only that, but to attempt to do so while championing great design, accepting no compromise when it comes to performance and establishing market-leading sustainable credentials in manufacture. Sound like a bit of a tall order, right? Well, this week on the show, I'm offering you a brush with one of the smartest new businesses around, and one that nailed the brief to such a degree that they sold out of their first batch of products and are expecting a similar run on the latest stock this month. Give Safavi and Mark Rushmore are the founders of Suri, the new name in toothbrushes. Give and Mark are here to talk about the potential for innovation in the dental hygiene space, why the time is now to address plastic waste caused by the sector, share some origin story of the brand, there may be a chance encounter on a speedboat off-can involved, and to explain why your Surrey toothbrush might just last longer even than the very teeth it's there to brush. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. It's a great pleasure to welcome Give Safavi and Mark Rushmore to the studio. Give Mark, welcome. Great to have you with us. And thank you for also bringing an example of the beautiful Surrey toothbrush, which I'm going to play with in a minute and you can talk our listeners through some of the innovations. Before we get into that, though, what about your background? I know the origin story is a cliche way to start one of these chats, but how did you come to start an innovative toothbrush business? And Give, I'll come to you first of all. How did you come to be where you are today? So... We both started our careers at Procter & Gamble, and we worked there for about several years. I actually sat next to the Oral-B team for quite a while. So I think that planted the spark. And then, you know, a few years later, Mark and I, although we both started at Procter & Gamble, we only met about seven years later. Actually, it's um, quite a good story. So we happened to meet by total coincidence on a speedboat off the south coast of France. <laughs> this uh, is just like a lot of my uh, stories in journalism, meeting on a speedboat. Of it, course. It, you know what? It, was, it sounds it was, really. It was a small speedboat. It was a small, <laughs> there was only 10 people on it and I wasn't really meant to be there, but I had sort of wangled myself an invite to this event during the Cannes Lions Advertising Festival. And it just so happened that I sat beside Eve and, you know, struck up conversation and found out that we both worked at Procter & Gamble in Geneva, myself in London. And it was actually at that point, Guy said, well, actually, I'm, I'm thinking about setting up my own business. And I really think there's an opportunity to take some of the categories which Procter & Gamble sell and sort of produce a more innovative, sustainable solution. And so we agreed to meet up when we came back to London. And well, the rest is history, shall we say. Yeah. I like it. And tell me about this idea of the pursuit of that innovation. Was sustainability fundamental to that? Was it actually the fact that there was so much waste, there was inefficient use of plastics and so forth, which we'll talk about? But was that matched by you know other considerations about innovation in terms of certainly form, but also function? Completely. Or was it a bit of a mix of all of those? Completely. I mean, I think from the beginning, we knew there was this problem in sustainability, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think, you know, taking a step back, we wanted to create a brand that championed design, performance, and sustainability. And I think many of the options today on the market, you know, they are the most sustainable, but they lack in performance or design. You know, take a bamboo toothbrush, for example. It's certainly more sustainable. It doesn't have a battery. But if you ask most dentists today, they'll say, electric toothbrush cleans your teeth better. And their clinical studies will show this too. So for us, it, it felt kind of like a compromise. How do we create a product that champions sustainability, but then also design? And then, you know, we looked at a lot of features. We asked people a lot of questions. And we found that while the products on the market were one, they weren't very sustainable, they're also quite clunky and not enjoyable to use. And then really the, the loyalty that we saw was a loyalty through familiarity rather than actually enjoyment. And so that's where we thought there was an opportunity to really 
you know, change the way people were looking at the category and then also the products that were, were coming out. And Mark, I guess one of the really obvious questions at that point is then there is that familiarity. It feels, if not a closed shop, certainly one where it's difficult to really get a lot of purchase and traction because there are these established names, most of which are operated by the big titans in sort of personal healthcare and hygiene. Clearly, it didn't scare you off. Why so? Where did that confidence come from? You know what? It's really due to persistence. And I, and I take my hat off to Give here because Give does not take no for an answer. Coming up with the idea and, you know, trying to work out how do we design a brush from the ground up at the start of COVID when you can go to the factories yourself proved challenging, especially because the majority of brushes on the market are made by a handful of factories. And so the manufacturers really encourage you to take their existing brush and sort of change the logo. And then you sort of sell it almost as like a white label product. But we wanted to do something completely different, it's something that's not been done before by designing it in a modular fashion so the components can be removed and then you can repair it. And so we spoke to 26 factories, 25 of whom didn't even try and go on mute on Zoom when they sort of <laughs> laughed at us and said, yes. but, you know, why would you repair it? Just sell a new one. That that will be awful for sales. And no, no, like, you know, obviously plastics are you know really durable. Why would you want to create them using different materials? And, you know, we sort of kept explaining, no, no, this is the reason why, and these are the reasons we believe are important. And unfortunately, in the end, the 26th factory, the owner sort of saw our vision and went with it. And so we've designed something from the ground up in a totally unique design that no other sort of person has produced. Now, I'm going to explain to our listeners that I'm going to have a little play. You can probably hear me opening and closing <laughs> the, the box. It's a really lovely design objects. And obviously here at Monocle, we're very interested in intentionality around well-designed things, because if you're going to have something in your home, why not ensure that as well as being fit for purpose, it's a beautiful mm. object that's made with some craft, some consideration, and also sustainable. How do you go about reconciling all of those challenges? Because it's presumably relatively easy to design something that looks incredible, maybe that has a beautiful tactility to it, but maybe the function is a compromise or the way you can integrate Completely. your sustainable principles is a compromise. Was that, again, simply give trial and error, lots of mock-ups and, and, and just keep trying until you found the balance you needed? I mean, I'd say on inspiration, you know, well, my father's an architect and a designer. And so I guess, you know, I was from a young age introduced to It's in the genes. Design. Bit, yeah. But we were very fortunate also to find a partner in California to help us create the design with us. And now he's he's fully part of the team. He's joined us full time. During COVID, it was quite a special time to be creating stuff because you would reach mm -hmm. out to people more often than not, even if they didn't respond, you know, normally they would respond immediately because it was everybody was at home and they had a lot more time, I would say, on their hands. And so we were able to connect with quite a few people who were able to give us insights, whether it was on bioplastics to the best materials to recycle that would last as long as possible. Because inherently we're using plant-based materials in our head and we need them to last in environments that are, you know, quite damp and, and also stressful in the sense that you're pushing your brush against your teeth. So, yeah, I mean, I would say that it's not been an easy journey, but, you know, just <laughs> Is mean, that when, the great, when the great says, understatement, right? When somebody says no, we, we just say, are you sure? And <laughs> keep asking that. And I think to your question there, Tom, about, you know, yes, you can make something look beautiful, but can you also get the performance? Having worked and seen how oral B perform and, and how important oral health is, we knew we couldn't compromise on the performance of the brush. So the brush, for example, has 33,000 sonic vibrations per minute. Battery-powered ones will often have to say less than 15,000. But we know that above 30,000 enables you to create something called fluid dynamics between your saliva and the brush and the paste, which is what removes plaque more efficiently than, say, like a manual brush. Mm -hmm. But we've managed to do that in a brush which is about a third of the size of your traditional brush, which 
environmentally is really useful because obviously when you transport it, it has like a lower sort of weight times transport equation. But also what we found is a lot of people have their big electric brush at home. And when they go traveling, they use a, a manual brush, which they throw away because their brush runs out of battery very quickly and it's very large to carry. And so by creating a brush that's a lot smaller with a battery life that lasts we say 30 days, but a lot of our consumers have told us theirs are lasting 60 days. We've created a brush that hopefully people can use when they're traveling as well. How come if you can make something that outperforms the established players in the market, that lasts longer, which is better for the environment, which is more portable, which is far nicer to hold? I mean, I've been playing with it, like when you have a nice pen, you know, yeah. the whole time we've been talking. Why is there any other way of doing it than this? Do you think that you are potentially going to be not just a disruptor of this market, but a a refashioner of it. This is the future, isn't it? We'd love to go broad, obviously, at one point. I mean, we think, you know, the sustainable bathroom is a completely unmet need. I would say that, you know, it is a bit of a mindset change. We have a reliance and large companies have a very large reliance on petroleum-based plastic. And so the second you try to move away from it, there's a lot of reasons as to why you shouldn't and why, you know, you should look at alternative ways of recycling more. But we we fundamentally just want to do things differently. And I think that just takes a little bit of guts and also a willingness to think differently. Our goal is ultimately that people will follow us, right? You know, I think the big problem, which we didn't mention when we started, is that today over 4 billion toothbrushes are thrown out every year and they're not recyclable. We spent a lot of time talking to consumers as well as recycling facilities. And, you know, the number one thing we said is this head is made out of plastic. Why is it not recyclable? And the recycling facility said, well, actually, it's made out of three different types of plastic. You've got petroleum-based plastic, then you've got nylon, polypropylene, sorry, nylon, and then you've got silicon. These are three different types of plastic we have to separate. This is going to cost us two to three pounds to actually sit there and separate it. We're going to get 50 cents value. So we just don't have do the, the means yourself. to do it. Yeah. So it dawned on us that actually the responsibility wasn't really with society right now. I mean, ultimately, hopefully governments will have policies, but it's really with the manufacturers. And I think we're starting as a direct consumer brand first. We are able to own that supply chain, take back our products effectively and recycle them, whereas larger companies that have been doing it traditionally don't have those means. I'm wielding this around, uh, the, the toothbrush. It's such a nice thing. Can you guys talk to me? I don't know if you want to divide and conquer. T tell me, oh, you've got another one there, Mark. Yeah. Talk to me a bit about the actual brush. Take it apart. Let us hear the sounds. Talk us through the features, because before we started recording, you guys were sort of explaining how it works. It's all so well considered, the case, the recharging station, all of the things you can do with it. Give us a little, talk us through it as if you were selling me one door-to-door <laughs> -door almost, Mark. Absolutely. So um, I'll start with the head. So we use cast oil, which is obviously plant-based renewable source for our bristles. And then the head itself is made out of cornstarch. And one thing we know from our research is that people want to be more sustainable in their home, but what we want to do is reduce friction to make it as easy as possible. So with every order, we include in the UK and the US a prepaid envelope so that once you're finished, you can pop it into the 100% compostable bag and we will bring it back. And we're looking at like how we repurpose the product into new products for your bathroom, for example. So that's the first thing. Then when you come to the handle, it's made out of aluminium, which gives it a really nice sort of soft, supple feel. It's about a third of the size, as I mentioned before, from a traditional brush. But the key feature is that on the very bottom, if you look there, in the middle is a tiny little screw, which uh, we have a special tool to remove which means that while we're IPX7 rated, which means it's very waterproof, we can remove it and replace the internals, the battery. And so as part of our subscription, which will be coming out in the coming sort of months, we will actually offer a lifetime guarantee for your brush. So this could be the last brush you ever buy. So as long as you're subscribed to it, if the battery runs out, if there's a problem with it, we will take it back. We will sort of use our workshop to repair it. And 
you know, you'll receive another brush. So I love it. It's, it's amazing USP <clears throat> that you'll probably lose your teeth before you need to get a new brush. Yeah, right? that's, that's exactly the, right. That's the cell. That's what I was saying. I hadn't thought about it like that, but that's exactly it. And so um, in my advancing years, these kind of things are on my <laughs> mind, right? You know. Additionally, we've measured our full carbon emissions from birth through to death. So you know, every single one of our materials, we measure every weight of every material all our inbound and outbound logistics as well as end of life. And so we do that through a partnership with Climate Partner. So I can happily say we are officially carbon neutral. So yeah, that, that gives you a little bit about the brush. And then Guive, I don't know if you want to maybe okay. take yeah, talk, talk to us about the case yeah. and, the, and the brilliant little <clears throat> charging station as well. So we did a lot of research and, you know, one of the things we asked people about was what features they really wanted and what they didn't. And so we looked hard at, you know, making a smart brush, something that would connect to your phone. And the more research we did, we found that people actually weren't using the apps. They're like, oh, yeah, I have the app, but I never use it. Or this is not really something that excites me. I don't need to be told when to brush my I teeth. I just want to brush my teeth. Exactly. In the morning and in the evening. And yeah. I mean, our brand name is Suri, but it stands for Sustainable Rituals. And there's something special, you know, about brushing your teeth. Obviously, as kids, it's, you, know, you might need the app to get excited by it. But, you know, it's a moment of meditation almost. It's the first thing you do in the morning. It's the last thing at night before you go to bed. And so we really wanted to create a product that kind of went with that vibe. And I'd say all the features were just, you know, they weren't right in your face, but they were all subtle. And they're exactly what you need, but they they were sort of more, I guess you could say, muted. So, like, mm. we've got two modes. Sorry, can I turn it on? Yeah, please. Yeah, I, so, I hold it close to the mic. We'll see if we can hear it. So it's uh, the sound is, is very low. We actually measured the decibel because, like, uh, one of the things I did with my wife in the beginning was test if she could hear me having a conversation <laughs> with her. Because with some of the toothbrushes, as you may know, it's, it's virtually impossible to hear anything your partner is saying next to you. I sometimes um, use that uh, strategically <laughs> when I need to. And then the case, it's a small, slim case, kind of like a pencil box. But the main feature on the inside is it charges a brush, but it also has a UV light inside, a UVC LED light. So similar to some of the water bottles you may find on the market that will kill all of the bacteria on your brush head in about one minute. So that feature we tested really well in a lot of our research. We found it's some of the subtle things like the toothpaste buildup bothers people. Also, when you take off the head, there's a metal plate we have there, which makes it easy to wipe off that toothpaste gunk. And it has a friendly message on it as well. Yes, a little it says keep smiling. <laughs> always good, um, always good. We have a little slim line charging stand that's also USB-C powered. And I guess the thing is like a lot of the thing, to Mark's point, like if you're traveling, you can use the case. But if you're at home, most of the chargers are very clunky and they take up a lot of space. There's a very slim line charger. But we also designed it in a way that it can be stuck on the mirror so it can hold your brush to it. Which, you know, it's, it's nice. If you I can smaller... attest, listeners, that it's working because I'm seeing it with my own eyes. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's got a strong magnetic pull. It'll hang right on your mirror. And then, you know, it has a few functions to that. Like if you have a small bathroom, I guess like I have a very small bathroom at home. That helps. And then also toothpaste buildup after you use your brush often drips down into wherever you put it down, whether it's on the table or a charging stand, and that builds up. And a lot of people actually don't like that. They, they think it's kind of a, a dirty thing to see every day. And so when you hang it on the mirror, it drips off onto your base and you can wipe it off. I must say, there are a lot of great features which are unique, but the one that I truly love the most is the mirror mount. Every morning, it's just really satisfying that the click that it makes from my mirror like that, and, you know, removing that and putting it back on, it just, it sort of elevates the bathroom. The bathroom looks beautiful, and, and now this sort of brush adds to that. I love it. I think it's really elegant. I know you're, you. being, you're being recognised, aren't you, as a bit of a class leader in various sort of polls and, and surveys. Has that reception, do you think, been aided by, in a sense, the way people are reflecting in a different way over the last two years because of the pandemic about health and well-being? These quite fundamental questions and actually looking for the ritual, the detail in a small thing that you maybe never would have even thought about. People are, I don't know, they're reframing the way that they have those conversations and they consider those moments. In a sense, do you think, Mark, that could even have been 
helpful in a way, not to make light, obviously, of the horrors that everyone's been going through, but the timing is kind of perfect for you guys, no? I think certainly the timing is important now to be thinking about more sustainable products. Like first and foremost, you know, I think everyone's becoming more and more aware of like the challenges that we face as a result of the climate crisis. But certainly in terms of during the pandemic, I think you're absolutely spot on. It's those mindful moments and sort of becoming more mindful of your environment and sort of, you know, these things which maybe traditionally have sort of been a bit thoughtless and, you know, yeah, as you mentioned before about familiarity, you know, yeah, I've got my Royal B or, you know, that's just the brush I have. Whereas actually taking sort of those moments when you're at home to enjoy each and every moment, whether it's brushing your teeth or admiring something that's sort of beautiful and choiceful in your home, I think you're absolutely right. What about other things? So I'm immediately thinking about the challenges of getting my kids to brush their teeth. And they've got all these disgusting, you know, PJ masks and Batman ones, which break after about five seconds. Is Suri, maybe you already are, are you catering to the younger teeth? Tell me that you're both nodding sagely here. What's on the on the horizon? Mark and I both have two young kids. And so it's been on our mind from the beginning. Also, almost everybody we've talked to have said, where's your kid's brush? So it's definitely. Oh, you need to get more original with my questions, right? <laughs> well, no, I think well, I actually mean, we... you're. It's basically it's the market. Like the market's demanding it. Yeah. You know, kids brushing, and I think what's great about our brush is the the size. You know, making it a little bit smaller certainly lends itself to children. But increasingly, it's children who are becoming really conscious of sustainable decisions, yeah. and, and you know, and, and growing up in an environment where that education and I know Greta's a bit of a cliche potentially but you know that is their future and so i think oh and that's your future as a brand as well isn't it that's your consumer i mean i made that flippant remark about people losing their teeth but these are people who are going to be brushing with three brushes for could be a hundred years i mean and that's important to connect with them just to that point are we also again i don't know if it's because of the more introspective nature of the last couple of years do you think we're getting to a point where hopefully in a sense you write out of your own business model the need to talk about sustainability because everyone will be doing this this way. I mean, is that, again, this is to this point about being disruptive or being completely revolutionary. Do you hope that and do you expect that the likes of, you know, the P&G brands completely. that you talked about I mean, we'd will love, follow you? We'd, we'd love that. And I would say that, like, for us, you know, sustainability is just one of the pillars. And we we try not to champion it as the main pillar because we think, I mean, we do is a big differentiator for us now. But in the long run, we want it to be table stakes. It's something that is is a way that we operate and that other companies will continue to operate. We're not perfect. I think that's the first thing we say on our sustainability page. And, you know, the, the reality is there's a long way we need to go. And so we need to just ensure that everything we do, we continue to improve. And I think that mindset of thinking, we'd love to see that at every company and not being satisfied with what we have today. And we're already in our next version, you know, we're looking at other things. There's water powered batteries, all sorts of different things that we can look to. But, I mean, I think it's just a shift of, of, you know, you create something that eventually goes into landfill. So how do you create something that's as circular as possible? And I think every company needs to do that because, you know, as long as all the other brands are still around, we're still going to have the same planet that we need to cater for. On the relationship then with your consumers, you mentioned earlier, I think, a little bit about having this very direct relationship. And obviously that can help in terms of building brand loyalty and insights into your consumers. What's the plan? Do you want to be in other uh, you know, in terms of you know points of sale of products, do you like to have that immediacy, people buying and working with you direct, you talk about sending things back, you build in the relationship, which I guess is very fundamental, but is there room scope to look at other possibilities as well with connecting with consumers? Absolutely. So, you know, we've started off direct to consumer and we've been honestly a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of support and traction from early consumers. And what we're seeing as well is we hadn't 
anticipated it to come so early, but retailers have been approaching us. So we've been in some very interesting conversations in the UK and the US right now with different retailers. And for us, absolutely, we'll definitely go into retail at the appropriate time because our brushes, as I said, are, are carbon neutral. You know, it puts you into an ecosystem which is more sustainable. And so the more people that we can get to sort of move that direction, I think the more impact that we can have. And I think, you know, with the carbon neutral side as well, we invest into offset projects. And so we're very proud to be supporting, you know, the removal of plastics from the ocean and building more water wells in Sierra Leone. And so to an extent, you know, our success and growth also aids those sort of our wider mission. That was Mark Rushmore. And before that, Gave Safavi, the co-founders of Surrey. You can learn more about the brand, their principles of design, manufacture and sustainability by heading to trysurrey.com. Coming up, we'll be hearing more about how businesses can and indeed must pivot to ensure exactly the sort of positive change we've been hearing about. So next up, we hear from Maria Mendeluse, the head of We Mean Business Coalition. It's an organisation that works with some of the world's most influential businesses to help them commit to reducing their carbon emissions with the overall goal of achieving a net zero economy by 2050. Monocle's Charlie Filmer Court caught up with Maria in Davos during this year's World Economic Forum to find out more about how positive business decisions can influence policymakers and why entrepreneurs are key in the battle against climate change. Charlie began by asking Maria how the We Mean Business Coalition facilitates change within businesses. The business community is going to be fundamental to tackle climate change. So if we want to keep 1.5 alive, which is kind of dead these days, business need to accelerate the transition to clean energy and also the transition of, the, of land and food systems, etc. So I think in the community we have business leaders and business followers, and that's fine. Sometimes the followers are more important than the leaders. Huh? The leaders, they need to be bold and courageous. And that's what we do at Women Business. We work with those leading companies that want to show that uh, being net zero is possible. And maybe they don't have all the answers, but they are definitely very determined to find them. And is that where you come in, I guess? And you provide the answers, hopefully? What we do is we provide a, a framework on what does it mean to be a leader and we give standards. So, for example, we created the Science-Based Targets Initiative. Now there are close to 3,000 companies that have set targets based on science, on what the science tells that that sector and that company needs to do and that are independently validated. This is fundamental because once you have those, then you move into action and then you report progress. But then action is the second thing. So we have ambition, science-based target, action. Okay, whether you want to buy 100% renewables, 100% electric vehicles or zero emission steel, etc. There's plenty of things companies can do. The third element, very important, advocacy. We know that we have thousands, 7,000 companies, including SMEs that have set science-based targets. But how do we move to the millions that are needed to have any chance of having the 1.5? Well, through regulation. And we need those leaders to speak up and to talk to policymakers and to tell them what are the things that are needed for them to achieve their journey, because that will mean that the, the millions will also achieve the, the journey. And finally, accountability. This is about reporting progress. This is about telling to the world how much emissions you have reduced. And if you do so, then there is no greenwashing. This is you are progressing. It might not be perfect. You might not do all the answers, but that's what you can. This is a learning journey for all. 
And you're obviously approaching it from the business angle. You spoke there about how if business leaders work together and make their voice heard, that that can have real lasting policy changes. Surely that's, that's, that's quite a tough ask, right? How do you even begin to work with that? So 7,000 companies have set science-based targets. So if anyone is listening and has not set science-based targets, start to get your act together and do so because we need millions. But then there are only a thousand companies out of those 7,000 that are speaking up, that are joining different letters that we send to policymakers telling them about the changes that are needed. For example, now with every power in Europe, we send a very clear message to policymakers that we need to decarbonize the power system by 2035, okay? 70% needs to be clean energy. That requires phasing out coal in Europe by 2030. That requires having electric vehicles by 2030. Companies are signing up to those because they know that that, that is what is needed for them to achieve their science-based targets. And we need to unite them. There are a thousand companies that have done so. And yeah, we're very keen to bring more to place. That is positive advocacy against some of the negative lobbying practices that we have seen. And on, on our show, The Entrepreneurs, we speak to a lot of businesses big and small. How hard is it on the business side to, to make these changes? You know, is it at a cost for them financially? Do they have to make certain sacrifices? And is that just something that everyone just has to do and has to accept? I just love entrepreneurs because they can disrupt the system easily. They are agile and they can think out of the box. And we need many of them to disrupt to disrupt the incumbents so that those incumbents can go faster. You can think that Tesla was a startup at some point, right? And it has disrupted completely the OEM market. So we need many more in every sector. So I encourage those startups to, to bring forward those solutions and to be bold and ambitious and to aim for the highest because the price is high as well as we can see you know, with the example of Tesla. Do you think that it's also getting to a point now, environment has to be something that every company has a concern for and puts right at the forefront of what they do. Do you think we're almost at a tipping point now where it's almost like the optics are so bad if you don't do that? So the employees, they want to work for companies that have a purpose. The customers, because they have set science-based targets, they need their products to be clean. The policymakers have agreed on some ambitious targets and the finance community finally got their act together and they are coming in masses. So yes, there are very strong pushes for companies to be more ambitious on climate. That said, it's not easy. Huh? We know it's not easy, but that's what business is, how businesses strive. There is a problem, they solve it. They have done that forever. So that's what they need to do now, right? They'll continue to do so. One thing that I thought was particularly interesting, quite hard to describe on radio, but was the Venn diagram theory of change, which is kind of your metric almost that you work with. Could you maybe just explain that in as simple terms as possible for us? And because I guess that gives a good insight into how you work and how you help businesses change. Yes, I'll give you an example. Last year, we sent a letter to Biden telling him that we wanted the US to have their emissions by 2030 in their emission reduction plan. Okay. Kerry, the next morning, said in CNN, when you hear 500 business telling you to do something, you just cannot ignore. It doesn't matter which party you are. You need to listen to what business wants. And then they did a 52, I think. So this is what we call the ambition loop. And this is happening everywhere, in Europe, in the US, and many countries, and, and at country level, but also at regional level. And that's why it's important that businesses speak up together, okay? One voice give a very clear signal to policymakers that yes, 
we want that policy change because that is going to help that company achieve their targets. But let me tell you, it's not only achieving the targets, that it means reducing their cost and being much more competitive and attractive to the employees, to the consumer and to the financiers. Just to round it off, the numbers that you're already talking about are fantastic, but what's next? Well, let's be honest, we have very little chances of meeting 1.5, okay, maybe 50% chances. So we need to bring that probability for our children, no? for the children of our children, higher, right? So I think now it is about acceleration of action. And let me give you an example. Here in Europe, you know, I'm a personal example. My mother wants to put solar panels and heat pump in her place, and she can't find the people to do it. So I ask people that are listening to us that if they have a plan, they also have a skill plan so that the workforce is ready to deploy the solutions when they are available. Because it cannot be that the workforce are a barrier for progress. In fact, this is an opportunity for the workforce to leapfrog and to be on the winning side of this transition. Maria Mendeluce, the head of the We Mean Business Coalition, in conversation with Charlie Filmercourt at Davos. You can learn more about We Mean Business Coalition and the vital work it's doing in the global business community. Just head now to WeMeanBusinessCoalition.org. That's all for this week. The programme was mixed and edited by Jack Dewars. My thanks to him as ever. And of course, thanks once again to Give and Mark and the Surrey team and to Maria and the We Mean Business Coalition. You can listen again and find out more about the entrepreneurs at monocle.com or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs. <laughs>